Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz, yes, I have some news that's very exciting as we like to start off our happy hour every week with some good news. Oh, tell me the good news, Julie. Tell me. Guess, guess who emerged from his basement this week? Um, Joe Biden, <laughs> our basement friend. Hayden Biden. Um, <laughs> well, we think it was him, right? Because he had a map on. This... <laughs> Could have been he anybody. Had this... <laughs> Remember during 2016 when people said that Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton had like a body double? We should start that rumor that that wasn't Joe Biden, <laughs> that he has a body double. Because, as you saw, he had this, like, Darth Vader-ish mask on covering his entire face. And then what was left of his face was covered by his sunglasses. Those Ray-Bans. He's cool. He's not like the other candidates. He's a cool candidate. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so that was our big news. But... uh, uh, building on that, today we have our special guest, Jordan Shaktel, who has been here before, and we're going to spend most of our time today allowing Jordan to update us on the latest bad news related to the coronavirus lockdown, what we know, what we've learned, and where we're headed from here. So, Jordan, welcome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me again. Appreciate it. Jordan, I have a question for you, and <clears throat> maybe Julie can help me too. So last night, while I was going through all of the news, and I saw um, a lot of rioting and protesting, um, large groups of people gathering outside, um, again, with some violence. And I can't seem to find any news stories shaming these people for risking their lives by coming together in large groups. Have you seen any of those or can you send me some links or something? Cause I don't see any stories about that. Yeah. I'm wondering where the CNN crew is putting cameras in people's face, asking them why they're not social distancing. What I did <laughs> find interesting though, was that a lot of these people are wearing masks. So I, I guess people are happy about the fact that they're wearing masks, even though these masks are for the purpose of shielding their identity, which I guess is, <laughs> is smart because that's what that's like really the only thing that most of these masks are good for as someone who has some buddies in the AI facial recognition space those uh, cameras in the streets that are going to try to pick people up prosecute them aren't going to be able to so you know that surgical mask is really coming in handy finally I, I really I feel like it might be a good time to riot I mean all of the all of the circumstances or all of the details are on your side. And a lot of them didn't have the surgical mask. They had the bandanas. <laughs> like, you know, they're benditos, not like th- this is for hygiene reasons. So anyway, I just thought I would ask because I just could not find any think pieces talking about how people should not get together in large groups um, for any reason whatsoever. Apparently, some reasons it's okay to do that. So Anyway, let's get back. You mean back. Um, Chris Cuomo isn't going to be out there asking them, uh, don't they know they're going to go infect grandma when they get back from looting the Target? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe he doesn't want to risk reinfection if he ever was infected <laughs> in his fake basement for his fake quarantine. Um, so let's start at the beginning. It seems like people like us, Jordan, Julie, Liz, we were right all along. <laughs> Imagine that with mm-hmm. the direction, the trajectory that the virus is going to take. Um, what do you, what's the, what's the biggest, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say surprise because I don't think either any of us were super surprised by the outcome, but what do you think the most important thing that we've learned after these, I guess, what are we on three months now? Three months of uh, life under the virus. Jordan. Um, a lot of these European countries are being much more honest in their in their COVID postmortems about you know what they did wrong, what they did right. 
And I think that one of the big lessons is that you need to be upfront with your citizens about what's going on and what you're going to do to approach the situation. Um, and what a lot of these countries have determined is that they never really had to um, go away from their basic pandemic playbook of basically you know, telling sick people to stay home and telling people to wash their hands. It seems to be that those were really the only two things that ended up having any type of effectiveness in this whole grand scheme of this COVID epidemic. So all of the policies, you know, like the social distancing and, you know, Julie was very, was great on this. Um, all the social distancing, all of the six foot stuff, the, you know, the asymptomatic terror that everyone was talking about, it all ended up not, you know, the lockdowns, all of this stuff ended up not doing anything to stop the spread. Um, Denmark's, uh, you know, chief um, health authority just put out a report this morning that said, you know, social distancing is not effective. Uh, it didn't do anything. You know, the lock, we wish we didn't do the lockdowns because it tanked our economy. And that's kind of, unfortunately, you know, like we've been talking about this stuff for months, but now that these European countries are coming out and just saying this bluntly, uh, uh, it, it's another one of these hard lessons learned that we took all of these supposed suppression and prevention measures when we really didn't even understand anything and we took so much negative action and tanked our economy and society um, in order to stop a virus that we did not succeed in stopping the spread whatsoever because you know, even the CDC has acknowledged that you know at least 10% of the country has been infected by now. So all of these measures were entirely worthless and it's just kind of, it, it's kind of sad that you know, this whole mob of crazy emotional policy making, um, it, it's unfortunately predictable, but uh, it's a hard lesson learned. Yeah, I've seen a lot of stories um, lately about mostly from like the Atlantic or the New Yorker about, you know, will things ever go back to normal? And I'm like, they should go back to normal tomorrow. You know, but like I... I don't know why people are buying into this long term. Like we now have to change the way we live. I, other than I guess there's <clears throat> a political advantage that this has been so politicized. What do you think, Julie? Well, I mean, the fear is baked in. I mean, I, I will say even I live in suburban Chicago. I know you guys are in Virginia, but I've spent most of my time in Florida, which had a relatively loose stay at home order. Um, but even as things started to open up, it is not a vigorous comeback, as you would expect. People are still walking around in masks. They still expect you to keep six feet away from them. You go to restaurants and the servers all have masks on. The chefs, you know, whoever's cooking has masks on. If you travel in the airport, it's like this surreal, uh, you know, environment where you're hearing lectures about CDC guidance, you know, over this empty terminal. That is not something I know people are predicting this V-shaped economy. Today, we have more bad economic news. We're at over 40 million people unemployed. The idea that this is going to bounce back quickly, like the experts have assured us, uh, I just don't even see that happening in states where it wasn't even as bad. But if you go back to Illinois, where I am now, or Virginia, when things open up, the, the fear that's baked in there is even worse than, say, in Florida or Georgia. So how long is it going to take for these states, our states, to get back to any kind of normal? I mean, it's going to take months and months. Um, so this has been a disaster at every single level as we've seen this roll out. You know, the starting with the bad models that have now been totally debunked, starting with the daily fear mongering by Anthony Fauci, Deborah Burks, relying on those models, changing their guidance, the approval of this latest CDC guidance, the 60 page ridiculous dystopian uh, description of how schools should reopen and businesses. I mean, this is 
this is not ending. I mean, anytime soon. And as Jordan and I have pointed out and a few others, this really is largely the fault of the White House. Yeah, yeah the, the fear mongering is incredible um, on all levels. And you can really understand it. Um, there's this uh, DC website called Popville, and they they sent out a you know an unscientific poll yesterday on Twitter, and the text was weather permitting. Do you plan on visiting a restaurant to dine outdoors this weekend or shortly thereafter? So this is just dining outdoors, right? Um, 13% said yes, 74% said no, 14% haven't decided yet. So these people in Washington D.C are living in terror and fear based on bad information. And mo the vast majority of them will not even think about dining outside right now. So if you think about public attitudes in places where people have been entirely propagandized, um, we are a long way away from people's attitudes getting back to normal. You're exactly right, Jordan. And so, um, you know, I... This is, it's a frightening uh, future prospect, how this, and we could talk a little bit about how this plays into the election, but if these numbers continue to dive, which they are, the second quarter GDP will be double-digit dive. You have these jobs that are not coming back. You have people living in fear. Uh, you know, this is going to, in my view, help the Democrats because, how can you win re-election and how can the Republicans overcome this climate that, you know, a lot of them have helped contribute to? Well, also, there's the bonus or the, the payoff of extending the fear so that they can do mail-in elections, right? I mean, they don't they don't want to start putting out a positive message. Like, for instance, like with that Avik Roy piece going through mm -hmm. the latest numbers that were crunched, finding out that, you know, about 43% of the fatalities we've had because of COVID is from people in nursing homes, which means that that's almost half. So basically half of the people um, of that 100,000 are people that got it out in the course of their daily going going about the daily functioning of society and that's over what three months so we we lose about eight thousand people a month anyway um so it's yeah we're, it, we're it, not it, getting the right we're not getting the right story out because it's definitely there's a political advantage to keeping people scared and as you know we all know that the left controls the means of communication the media the news so go ahead Go ahead. Uh, sorry, Jordan. No, um, it's crazy when you extrapolate that number with regard to the nursing homes. So there's about uh, 1.5 million people in nursing homes at any time in America. And of course, you know, there's 330 million Americans. So if the virus is, let's say, 50-50, nursing homes, general population, and we know thanks to Colorado's data, that you know, there's definitely a separation between people who die with COVID and die from COVID. So you're at least uh, among you know the remaining 328 and a half million Americans. You're talking about well under 50,000 deaths during the COVID season. Um, more realistically, it's probably you know dying from COVID. You're probably looking at maybe 30,000 people um, amongst 300. 328.5 million people. So the idea that the the nation should be entirely terrorized when we know that um, there's at least 30 million Americans that have gotten the virus and recovered, and you're looking at such a small population outside of nursing homes that have that have fallen ill to it and and died from it, it, it it's certainly still a tragedy, but it resembles a pretty average to uh, bad flu season when you take into account the nursing home stuff. And it's just kind of, it's so shocking to me that Americans have been absolutely terrorized um, by a virus. And we, the data is now very clear about the mortality, uh, in, no matter where you look. And it, except for really in East Asia where your average person is healthier. Um, so it's even lower there. 
but it's just so it's so crazy that you know across the board federal state uh, local politicians and you know people like Fauci Burks uh, the, the the heads of C- CMS CDC have scared people into fearing this thing that they really shouldn't have this level of fear and I, I think that you know as, as we kind of discussed it, it's going to be so hard to convince people otherwise now that they've been so propagandized into believing that this virus is just going to you know wipe out civilization it, it reminds me of you know after 9/11 so many people were afraid of flying and we kind of realized it was an irrational fear while it was happening because you know we're like oh what are the chances you know there were the, a few terrorists on a few planes one day in american history and now, you know, you extrapolate that to thousands of flights a day. It reminds me of that, like, post 9-11 fear that gripped people for so long. I mean, I remember personally, I was only a teenager, but I was, like, terrified of flying. Um, and if that's what happens with the COVID, post-COVID thing, uh, I imagine it's going to take, for some people, months, if not years, to fully recover um, mentally and get ready to re-enter society. So, you know, what are the economic and societal ramifications for this this virus that's in their minds right now? Well, what do you think for the scientists in the government, the Fauci's, the Burks, the CMS folks, the CDC, the NIH, all that crew? What is the payoff for unnecessarily scaring people? Um. Yeah. Like, it, what do you think? Because at some point, they're they're much more akin to analyzing data than I am, even though I'm pretty, you know, data data oriented myself or you. But these people, that's their job. They're always crunching numbers on every front. So at some point, they had to be like, wait, this this isn't as bad as it seems. So why do you think that there's still a continuing push to put this out? I mean, aside from the media, which has its own agenda, but just the scientists. Yeah, I mean, people like Fauci and Burks have been in positions of power for decades, and I think they're so far removed from society at this point um, that they are just more invested in their egos and in being right than acknowledging their faults. And the CDC has done a really bad job actually talking to us about this virus and how crucial it is that people um, with avoidable conditions like... um, for example, the virus, the, un, the the top three underlying conditions um, of COVID patients that are that are dying under the age of 70 are first and foremost obesity. Uh, secondly, it's diabetes, which can come from obesity, and third is asthma, which also can come from obesity. So no one in the federal government, except the Surgeon General, for you know a few seconds, said said um, alluded to that at all so the the education the public education coming from the public health institutions has been incredibly poor and instead they decided just to kind of scare people into staying home when they should have been telling people you know go exercise uh, it, it's just it, it's just been a, a total a total mess of public messaging and people should be held accountable for it and we're not really seeing that and unfortunately, instead of people being held accountable, the vast majority of the public has taken to believing what people of Fauci and Burks have said. So it's going to be tough to hold them accountable when you have eight out of every 10 Americans thinking that, yes, they're actually right about this stuff and we're going to continue to follow their guidance. It would be impressive if one of those people came out and said, look, Let's talk about your food choices. Let's talk about your exercise regime. I follow several, like, I guess within the health community, like health people that are physicians, right? They're not quacks. They're not internet stars. They're literally, they have credentials. And from the start, they were all saying, like, this is about your metabolic disorders. This is about your, you know, all the comorbidities that, that, that you're, you live with. Let's, why not mitigate the risk by changing your lifestyle? But it's like people would rather just put a mask on, right? I mean, that's yeah, kind I mean, of where it you, is. You, you see a guy like Brian Stelter. He's like 400 pounds, and he's <laughs> he's yelling on on TV every day about you know, he's lecturing people to stay at home, wait till the wait till the vaccine comes, and like 
I'm just thinking like, why don't you, why don't you just hire, you know, you have the money, just go hire a personal trainer and then you don't have anything to worry about when you drop a significant percentage of your overall weight. <laughs> your body you mass. <laughs> so uh, well, it, it's so, it's like so, such a coddled mentality. And I have no idea how America got to the point where we refuse to even acknowledge all of our issues and we have people terrorized more, it seems more so than any other country in the world. And it's just, it, it is not a bright, uh, we're not, it's not a bright picture being painted uh, for American society right now. Um, I, you know, Liz, you were just asking about people taking the guidance of Fauci and Burks. You know, I am astonished on a daily basis at their arrogance, right? Can you imagine getting in front of a camera a few times a day like Anthony Fauci does and telling 330 million Americans how to live their lives, who to gather with, what to do, where to go, what political conventions can take place. I mean, and Deborah Burks is the same way. You know, last weekend before Memorial Day, okay, you could go to the beach, just socially distance. Who are you to tell us where we can, who, how we can behave at outside at a beach? I mean, that is the kind of mind control that comes from like this megalomaniac personality, which I don't know if they had before. They just cultivated it. Uh, you know, the past few months, it's hard to say. Um, but it, it can you imagine getting up and telling 330 million or three million or th three people how to live their lives um, and using this virus as an excuse to do so? Well, if you think about it, it's not even that they're telling people what to do. They're literally telling people to do the opposite of what's good for them, right? right? Don't go outside on the beach. When people go to the beach, they walk around, they get in the water, they, you know, they, some people exercise on the beach. You're out, you're active and they're like, okay, you, you, you can go, but it's, you're still putting the fear in someone, you know, who is about to go do a recreational activity. It's. I just find it hilarious or not hilarious. It's kind of tragic that not only are these people telling us what to do, but they're often telling us the opposite of what is actually healthy behavior. It's certainly the lack of socialization is not helpful. You have people, you know, you, you have people that are suffering. You, you, your mental state also affects your physical health. So if you oh, yeah. lost your job, your spouse has lost their job, you've got three kids to homeschool, you know, um, and you're, you, you can't go outside, your mental state is not going to be the best. And so there's also consequences to that, as we've seen that there's increased suicide, um, hotline phone calls. Um, and I think w when things get, I don't know, past stage one, I don't know, whenever people feel comfortable going to their physician's offices for diagnostics, they're people that should be getting monitored. I have a friend whose husband has um, cancer and his procedures have been put on hold mm -hmm. for the last two months. So those are also consequences of, of this that arise from this fear that's being put out there all of the time under the uh, reign of authority. I, I don't know. I, I think yeah. it's, I think it's sad. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jordan. It's, um, you're, you're hundred percent right. And I think this is where, again, we see these failures from people like Fauci and Burks, um, who are not only giving people bad advice, but you're right. They're setting people up to fail. And because we know it's so important to, if you get a COVID infection to, you have such a better chance at fighting it off successfully with very few symptoms if you're a healthy person and they're creating this in this stay at home stay indoors um you know mental and physical prison environment that doesn't you're right people aren't really motivated to get healthy and people are exhibiting more unhealthy behaviors than ever before whether it's um you know like a, a drinking or smoking habit or an eating habit people you know, when people have too much time on their hands, which is the case with so many unemployed Americans, and they're not going to necessarily resort to, to good behaviors just because they have too much time on their hands. 
like a lot of people are just going to double down on their bad behaviors because um, as, as proven by the suicide hotline calls, the increase in suicides, uh, the increase in mental health issues, uh, people are going to double down on their bad behaviors. They're not going to go out and exercise. You're just creating more problems for them. Um, so you're, you're right. In addition to the bad information we're getting, people are, are getting um, more unhealthy as a result of these policies. So it's just, it's a total mess. And, and I wish that the president, I think that the president's done a good job in effectively sidelining them by ending those stupid briefings. But I think he needs to do even more and completely remove people like Fauci and Burks from the picture. They he well, probably can't do the media. Them. The problem is, I think, I think Trump took too long to mo- move them out. But also, it's the media, you know, that they allow Fauci and Burks. I I don't think Burks is as bad as Fauci. I think Fauci is is worse than Burks. But and I like her scarves. Like I'm super into her scarves. So I just want to say that I get no hate on her scarves from me. But but I see Fauci is like shiving Trump anytime he's on the media with like I wear a mask to set an example. Oh fuck you, um that kind of thing. But the media has elevated him so much. So that if he went on one of those clown shows at night and said, look, we just figured out that if you wear a red Rudolph nose on your face, it'll keep the virus away. People would start doing that without Mm -hmm. uh, without question. There's just no questioning. So I I think the media has really elevated these particular people up. Well, well, denigrating the people that we've seen shortly on YouTube before they're pulled off, like those doctors in California or even other very credentialed and respected epidemiologists who have a different opinion, they're also sidelined. So, you know, I, I, I always go back to the media because he who controls the stories controls society and the media is out there lifting up these people and telling a really grim story and withholding information that shows that this isn't as dire as we thought. So I, I lost all respect for Anthony Fauci when he went, um, did that Senate testimony and demanded that essentially children continue to stop going. We, we continue to keep the schools shut down forever because of the Kawasaki syndrome that yeah. he was. And he knew very well that it was probably unrelated to COVID. So once you realize that, like, I already assumed that he was a bad faith actor prior to then, but that really provided some clarity that he is an egomaniac and actually a pretty bad dude for, for you know, Anthony Fauci's 80 years old, uh, has lived a really accomplished life. And for him to try to just deliberately destroy future generations lives, like what he's doing right now, it, it, to me, it's just, it's just evil. And it, it's a reflection of how big his ego has gotten because the media views him as like a, the god of science and anything he says goes. And when it when it came when it comes to reopening, you know, he'll comment on uh, football. He comments on all of these mm-hmm. things and he always has a perfect plan for it. And, and the media does not ask him you know, what what his background is in you know, sports medicine, all this stuff. It, he just he just continues to spitball and doesn't acknowledge any of his flaws. And I, I, he's just he's just a really bad dude, in my opinion. Well, here's what I find suspicious about him is that um, if you don't I know Jordan and Julie probably know. But when you work for the government for a long time, you can retire pretty early with a beautiful send off package Right. You get a large (laughs) chunk of your salary. You get Cadillac level benefits that the hoi polloi and the commoners don't get when they, you know, when they they get Medicare or whatever. So he's 80. Why is he still working? Like he could have retired long ago with a lot of with a nice package and he probably could have gotten some consultancy with like a pharma company for a couple million dollars a year plus a signing bonus why is he still working in the government? And I think it's because he's on a power trip. You know, these people are on a power trip. That's my my, my suggestion, my opinion. I don't well, know. and I think what they have done to kids, and I have two girls, one in college, one in high school, the fear that they've put these kids 
that they've trained these kids now to live with the uncertainty about going back to school in the fall, you know, how I'm trying to explain to them, we're trying to make alternate plans in Illinois. If they do online learning for my daughter, who's in high school, that's just, that's not going to work because guess what? My property taxes aren't going to go down. The teachers are still getting paid full salary. My taxes will actually probably go up because of what's happening to the economy. So, you know, we're trying to figure out how to plan. My daughter is in college in upstate New York. She left there on March 16th and locked her door. All of her belongings are still there. Like her life is suspended in time. She has not seen any of her friends since that, you know, like, and I know that that doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you go back to your college years, those are some of the best years of your life, right? And people who you make lifelong friendships with and experiences that you'll never have again, to just have that completely cut off and sit here and wonder what kind of environment she's going to go back to, even if they do online classes there or, or, or what, what they're going to find, what life is going to be like. Um, and the things that they've done to these kids, taking away their sports, their scholarships, so many kids who were graduating, their job offers were rescinded, um, no graduations, you know, no goodbyes to your friends in high school or college or whatever it is. So uh, for nothing, uh, for kids who are perfectly safe, uh, right, they, they're they not getting this infection at all and they're certainly not passing it around, but these are going to be consequences that I think are traumatic and there's it going to be a lot of, it's a, it's po- a lot of these kids are going to have PTSD. I mean, well, it's one thing for an adult, but these kids, you can't get this time back, right? Well, at it's all. like a trauma equivalent yes. to like a sudden death in your family or a sudden divorce or just something that comes out of the blue that like that, that alters your life so much. It's, it's absolutely a trauma. And yeah. I, I agree with you, Juliet. We're not going to know the effects of this until much further down the line. Yeah. And I think a lot of our, our buddies on the right um, kind of missed this element of the COVID epidemic. Um, and, you know, I agree that homeschooling is great and all, but, but you're right. There are so many important moments in life that come from being off to college or, you know, whether people are in public high school or, or not. Um, the answer not is not necessarily, you know, just let these colleges burn down. You know, this is great for us, but it, it's it's really destroying so many people's lives, and we we, we can't forget that. Um, and and you know, it might be a good thing in the long run that in, that institutions like in in California, I, apparently all those university systems are shutting down for at least a year. But in the meantime, you're you're, you're ruining the futures of, of so many Americans. So w- when I see some of like my, my homeschooling advocate friends on the right saying like, Oh, this is great. You know, we're going to, everyone's going to spend more time at home and families are going to get stronger and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, not everyone comes from a perfect family, first of all. And second of all, uh, you know, as Julie mentioned, P- your, your taxes are, are, are paying for public school too. So it's not really like this is just a a giant win-win and we can all just become a homeschooling society. I really don't like when people try to remanufacture society due to a crisis. And there are people Mm -hmm. on the right as well as well as the left, of course. But there's definitely people on the right that are trying to do this, too. And I'm not really a big fan of that. Well, on the homeschooling on the homeschooling front, something people don't keep in mind is that how many computers does an average household have? Right. right? And a parent. And your parents have to work from home. So your parents need a computer. And let's say you have two or three kids and they need a computer. How many computers do you have at home? Does every house have? I mean, that's that's something not even that's not even mentioned or talked about. So you can't really move everything online super smoothly like that. I mean, it's it's, it's a burden on people. And of course, I'm sure your people's property taxes aren't going to, you know, just go away because there's no public school system anymore. That's ridiculous. So just and I will tell you, I got super irritated when I saw that from people on the right who were like, oh, great. You know, this will be great for homeschooling. Well, first of all, I, I don't my I don't want my kids to be homeschooled. I certainly don't want to homeschool them. And I never considered homeschooling. I'm totally fine with people who want to do that. But don't 
now do the opposite, which is like, well, then teach your own kid. And I mean, I got this blowback from people when I was bringing this up. Well, you, you sh- you're responsible for your kid's education. Well, I am. But just because she goes to a public school, my kids go to public schools. I- I'm responsible for that. And then some people who are like, oh, great. All these universities are going to shut down. Well, okay, maybe some of them should shut down and some of them are on the brink of it, but certainly not a college where my daughter attends. It's not. And she's getting a lot out of college life, as we all do, besides just attending classes. So, uh, Jordan, you hit on something that was right. The people on the right who are as harpy about how to exploit this crisis as the left, of course, is more irritating to us, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's happening on all levels. Um, like in the foreign policy world, everyone's thinking, oh, now's our chance to take an economic shot at China or reorient our supply chain. And everyone has all these like grand ideas. Um, a lot of it's coming from bad people. But I think first and foremost, we need to end, end the lockdowns because there's still lockdowns throughout the country. And we can't be talking about these, these ideas thinking that we have like a functioning society right now and thinking that we're actually going to like win any of these trade wars. And I think that like the the thing that everyone should be focusing on is trying to get America back to a, you know, civilized, sustained society. And there's so many people, I have a hard time not naming names, but there's so many people that are, that are in my view, like total charlatan, it's total charlatans, and you can see they're not at all affected by this crisis, either financially or mm-hmm. in any other way. And they're like, oh, great, now's, now's the time that we can, you know, do these grand plans. Like, I'll name it. Like, a lot of people associated with, with Bannon's, you know, War Room project, which was, yeah. like, retarded, uh, sorry, which was, uh, okay. which, had, which was putting out awful information on this crisis since day one. Now they're all talking about Oh, we're going to we're going to take the fight to China. Sorry, you got to pay more at Walmart now. We're taking the fight to China. Like, listen, you you maniacs like you. You were just advocating all this lockdown stuff and crushing the economy. Now we're going to go. Now we're going to pursue your pet projects. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, There's just so much dishonesty on both sides of the political spectrum. And I wish that people would just focus on, like, you know, let's get our towns and cities and states back in order before we go through with your proposals and and that's what all Congress and the president should be focusing on too. Well, the Congress can't even meet. They can't. They have to proxy vote. They're too chicken to even show up, even though they're paid like one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars a year. And we can't even get that operating normally. And it, it isn't really the time to start pushing extreme policy positions just because you know it's like you have to take your first step. And we. We really haven't taken it, although <clears throat> I do think it's it's good for people to start thinking about um, what how we got into some of the trouble that we did. Because <clears throat> although we talk about the science being off and how this um, this, epide- this epidemic, this virus has given us an opportunity to see some problems that we have, especially our dependence on China for medicine and for PPP and how we've been sold out over the years by a representation who, you know, to make a quick buck. I think that is something that we should keep in mind, but our emphasis really needs to be on getting us up and operating. And I think there's too many people that have an interest in keeping, uh, keeping our society, our culture closed. I don't know. I, I don't know. Part of me wants to say, well, if people see that it, you're not there, the numbers aren't going up or that they're not seeing people sick and in the hospitals and, um, you know, that they'll they'll get more comfortable. But I don't think the media is going to allow that to be, you know, put out there or the, the cable news team stuff. I don't know. That's my opinion. Especially I with the it. hospitalization metrics. Um I can say like that I've been following the the DC mayor's social media and the the dif- the difference between reality and what she's projecting is just shocking. I mean, I've been looking at the numbers in DC and COVID patients have consistently taken up about 8% of their total hospital beds in in the district and she's talking like, 
you know, we're, we're in World War III against a virus. And in reality, the hospitals are completely empty. And patients of, with other stuff still far outweigh the COVID patients. And we know those, the people with other stuff are, are really afraid to go to the hospital. So there's just this, throughout the country, you have all these empty hospitals. The media is not really reporting on it. And due to, you know, privacy laws, there's, there's no video of these. There, there's some videos coming out of the empty hospital wards, but the, the press isn't really reporting it. You know, it's stuff that you're really seeing on, on, on Facebook, Twitter, people just kind of posting stuff from their experiences. But you really haven't seen much coverage of it. Well, Jordan, wasn't that to you? I think early on, a lot of my skepticism was fueled by the fact that we were not seeing images of hospitals being overrun, with the exception of, say, Elmhurst um, Hospital in Queens. There were no no reports, right? So I remember Sean Davis would track the emergency room wait times at hospitals throughout the country, and this would have been, say, late March. And the media, you know, if these hospitals and ERs were overflowing with COVID patients, they would have been there capturing those images, right? But instead, they were at Costco getting footage of people, you know, tearing each other's eyeballs out for Charmin. So I think that that has always been one of the most telling gauges of where this crisis was and how it just never was widespread as they predicted and and that we're still waiting for in some regards. Well, CBS, I think it was that they they borrowed footage from (laughs) all kinds of places to try to Italy, right? Weren't they showing footage of Italian hospitals and they tried to I think they got busted because someone zoomed in and saw like Italian labels on the equipment. (laughs) They got busted doing that. And then they were setting up. There was another, um, I don't know if that CB, I don't know if CBS did that, but I know CBS, they didn't they staff up like a fake waiting line for people where they actually had for testing. Yeah. And meanwhile, like in Arlington, there, I, there, there's no, there's no wait for testing. There's, we, we went to get tested. My boyfriend got tested. Ace got tested and there, it was just empty. There was a huge space reserved for this process. There were cones, there were cops. It was just really, it looked like a serious, serious operation, but there just was no, no cars there to go and get tested. And so I, I haven't, I keep hearing testing so important, testing so important. And people say, well, you can't get tested. How can you not get tested? I got an antibody test. It was so easy. It was ridiculous. I didn't have to make a hard sell to my doctor. I was like, yeah, you know, I had a cough in January. She's like, okay, boom, go, go to the lab, you know? So of course those are probably not very reliable as we're learning, but what do you think about this big, push for testing um jordan or julie like that we keep hearing about it we can't open up until there's testing do you think this is just another like lucy in the football moment where we're never going to have enough tests because you literally have to test everybody every day right to make sure that you didn't catch it on the way out of your last test um because we just keep hearing all this test we've got to have the tests maybe they have stock in the testing Jordan, what do you think? You pay such close attention to all of this. There definitely seems to be, um, there's probably companies that are getting rich off of this. But in addition to it, like from a policy perspective, I don't, I never understood the need for mass testing um, unless you're working in in an environment where, uh, you know, you're exposed to a lot of different people, particularly senior citizens. And you're right, testing does seem to be widely available. Um, testing only provides a very short-range snapshot of the current situation because, as you said, you know you could take a test and then get exposed to COVID 10 minutes later, and then what <laughs> good is that test that you just took, right? I mean, it's good if you're – I think if you're symptomatic and you're feeling sick um, – might be a good thing to get a test. It might also just be a good thing to stay to stay home because that's what people who are sick do. 
So maybe this could be like a specific program tied to nursing homes because of such a high fatality rate that it might be worthy to continue to get tested if you're a nursing home employee, you know, every two days or whatever before you, but it just, it never really made sense to me that, oh, we need 30 million tests because people just aren't going, and we're seeing it already, people just aren't going to expose themselves to a, a testing method that's particularly invasive, first of all, and even if it's non-invasive, people just don't want to, I, I don't think they want to take the time out of their day to continue to get tested every two weeks. I, I think maybe some workplaces are going to end up requiring it, but it, it just seems very uh, ridiculous to me. It's just, it's a giant waste of time. Um, it's not going to, getting tested for COVID isn't going to stop people from getting the virus. It's just, you know, your, your results come back the next day. You either have it or you don't. And then you just, I, I just don't get it. Unless it's in a particularly dangerous environment, like a nursing home, or you work with seniors a lot. I don't, I don't see the, I never saw the, the need for it. Uh, and then this media narrative that's been created just, just never really made sense to me. It just seems to be, uh, as you alluded to, it's just another delay tactic because they don't have the hospitals overrun. There is no surge in cases. There's no surge in deaths. You know, every, all of these metrics are declining drastically. There's a lot of people that cover this on social media and you're seeing about two to 3% like every day hospitalizations going down and down, even below the numbers that we're seeing right now. So they just need another excuse to remain uh, closed in perpetuity. And there's a there was a new uh, couple new studies that came out last week, really interesting, that even people who had COVID recovered, they later tested, still tested positive for the virus itself and the way Scott Gottlieb, who we can't trust either, explained it was that it's a the dead virus is still in your body and you're still testing for it, but you're not symptomatic and you can't infect other people. So what does that mean? Then let's say you were sick back in January and now you're taking a test now. How long does the virus live in your body? We still don't have an answer to that. There was a solid um, answer when Fox, like I think when the the pandemic hysteria started getting ramped up, Fox News was interviewed a couple people that Dr. Siegel, who's their fo doctor, Fox News contributor, he was in Nebraska where they had had some of those quarantined people that were on the boat and he was interviewing them. And there was some guy there. He kept testing positive for like 45 days. He had <laughs> he had already gotten sick. Right. He went through the whole coughing and tired and chest is tight. And then he felt better and they kept testing him and they wouldn't release him until he'd had like two or three consecutive negatives. And that poor guy, he's locked up for 45 days. He was fine. Mm -hmm. um, it, it does seem like we're getting a lot of orders and a lot of dictates and but we're not getting a lot of critical information, pieces of information that we should know so we can best decide how to manage the manage a virus things like how long it does stay in your system how long are you contagious after you're over your symptoms things like that we just aren't we just aren't either that they're not releasing that information there's not an emphasis on that information it's it's peculiar i mean i'm suspicious and it's it's unfortunate i think a, a large chunk of the population is extremely suspicious. And so people who don't want to wear masks are ostracized by Karens and people who question, um, you know, they're treated like conspiracy theorists, even professionals, not just some rando who picks up a phone and starts talking on YouTube, but, you know, actual medical practitioners who have alternative ideas, they're all run out of town or they're, you know, censored. It's just, I don't know. I don't, where, where do you, Jordan, where do you think we're going to be in another month? Like, where's your prediction? Like in, in terms of general society, I don't know. I don't know if things are going to necessarily get better. I mean, when I came back from a short trip to um, South Florida a couple weeks ago, I would, I thought that maybe, you know, people would, I'd see fewer masks and maybe a little bit more of a, Generally, generally more free vibe in society, but 
But I think, at least in the D.C. Beltway, things are progressively getting worse with general attitudes. Um, more stores are, well, now there's a mask mandate coming down from Governor Northam. So people are going to be forced to wear masks indoors. But I think in terms of like the mask wearing, in terms of the terror, I don't see that lifted at all. Um, and and I, I think that we can basically assume that any kind of summer uh, that involves anything entertaining or fun is going to be canceled in this area. So the doom and gloom stuff, in terms of general attitudes, I think it's going to stick around for a while. Um, how long? I have no idea. But for the next month or so, it, it's it's basically guaranteed, in my opinion. I agree. And, um, you know, there was interesting, and you just said about Georgia, and it's weird. Things are getting worse. You know, now all of a sudden we're getting these mask orders as as cases and hospitalizations and the gloom and doom is declining, the measures are getting worse, right? And um, there was just a report that came out of tracking credit card um, uh, use in states that were locked down versus states that are lifting their restrictions. There's very little difference, which is, I know, anecdotal from what I was just saying about Florida. Um, But even as states are opening up, People are still terrified and they're just not going to be quickly, you know, going back to the health club or going to the mall or going out to eat, doing all the things that they were doing normally three months ago. Um, And so that's just one more indicator to back up what you're saying, Jordan, is it's going to be months and months before things get back to normal, just in time for flu season. And then as soon as people start coughing and sneezing, I can't even imagine how all these people are going to react then. We're probably yeah, not even going to have a flu season. This like this like terrifies me that some some Karen is going to attack me if I sneeze outside. <laughs> it's just so crazy <laughs> what we're dealing with right now. I I think we're not even going to have a flu season in the fall because they're just going to say it's COVID no matter what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I don't I don't I don't think that there's going to be a second wave. Remember a couple weeks ago that was the hot word second wave what about the second wave it's coming america's um, hottest new club second yep, wave second Bring your wave <laughs> so i don't i'm not sure if we're gonna we're gonna have a second wave but we'll probably have one no matter what right because if people are continually presented with scenarios and um, statements from pseudo authorities talking about you know the hoss up uptick in the hot every uptick in hospital admissions every you know anything at all that can be used to keep this hysteria up as high as possible is going to be used and i think i think the most depressing thing about this whole pandemic shit is how tractable the american public is i can't believe there aren't more people who are questioning some of the crap that we've been fed. It, I don't know. Like, like I said, from the start, I think people will are okay with doing things that seem obvious. Like you should wash your hands, right? Be, don't touch your, you know, be mindful, touch your face. These are things people really should do during flu season anyway. But now they're being asked to do all kinds of ridiculous things with this social distancing and then go outside, but then, or you can't go outside or you have to stay six feet away from people. There's like little X's on on the beaches where you're allowed to sit and that aren't too close to other people. It just seems all so ridiculous and people are just swallowing it right up. Yeah, I thought there were more people in this country that were skeptical of government mandates, but I, I way overestimated, uh, I, I'll acknowledge I way overestimated the amount of people who actually are when it comes to a, a, a crisis or at least a, a, a crisis that the government has told you what's going on. A couple months ago, I, I guess the three of us were in the fewer, the 0.1% who looked at all this stuff coming down from the federal and state governments. And I, I think, uh, you know, at least speaking for myself, I saw a lot of this stuff and I was like, this is a lot of this just seems like bullshit. So unless you show me 
some firm evidence, I'm not going to listen to what you bureaucrats are saying because I know how bureaucrats operate. So I think we moved from being in that like 0.1% category of, I don't trust anything what you're saying because none of it's backed by evidence to maybe being in a single digit. We're still in this single digit percentage group of Americans, it seems, where we're just, we know the data and you don't even have to know the data. As long as you're just like, you're basically skeptical of a federal bureaucracy and, and the so-called expertise of these people, you should be able to understand that they're, they're, most of these people are just full of it. And there's really no, Julie did a great job reporting on this, that there's like no science backing any of this stuff. Um, and I, I wish that more people would realize that, but it seems that people are just so willing to believe whatever they're being fed uh, in the media and from the bureaucracy. And, and it is definitely discouraging because our, our nation was founded by people who were incredibly independent in their thought processes and you just don't really see it too much right now no we and i think jordan i think we all feel this way the people on the right are there are people who really shocked me right that they went along with this immediately um they mocked people like us who were highly skeptical for good reason um the list of so-called wartime conservatives, some of them like to call themselves, that list is way smaller than it was three months ago. Um, and I think what's sort of infuriating is those people have yet to own up to the mistakes that they made. I mean, Jordan, I know, you know, as people who are out there on social media really early on this, there were a lot of times. I mean, I lost more sleep over this than impeachment or the Mueller probe or anything else, because I thought if I'm wrong, your whole reputation is burned. Right. Because we were out there early, very skeptical of all of this. And if this would have turned out to be the huge crisis that we were warned about, we I, we would have been finished. Right. I mean, our integrity, our reputation, people believing us would have been over. So it was a huge risk to do that. The people on the other side, especially on the right, who jumped on this hysteria early on, who had been dead wrong, but who helped fuel this hysteria, none of them has have come out yet and fessed up and owned up to playing the part that they did early on. Now they're just on to something else, right? Like, yeah, oh, okay, let's talk about China or, you know, Section 230 or whatever social media. Like, we we're, we notice what you're doing. Yeah, it seems like they're just completely avoiding the conversation, and they've totally shifted the narrative. Um, it, it was even it was so surprising that in this moment of fear, I, I I don't know if this happened to you, but even like personally, I had people uh, attempting to like dunk on my tweets who I who I knew personally, who I had seen you know a couple weeks prior, and I remember right. I remember I I messaged them privately like over the phone, and I was like. What are you? What are you doing? Like, why are you attacking me? Like, I, I saw you a couple of weeks ago. I mean, do, do you want to have a civil conversation, or are you just trying to like, like, what exactly is the thing here? And he's like, oh. And a lot of people are just like, oh, you're you're ki you're gonna end up killing people, and, oh. and like this all this like dramatic bullshit. And it was just it was just shocking to see that this mob of people who are otherwise pretty intelligent and smart on a lot of issues that they were just so consumed with fear and paranoia and really just like on some kind of like ego trip too, that they were viciously attacking people who were either, you know, their, their colleagues, associates, friends, uh, just in this terror and fear. And it was just, it's just so bizarre what happens when society is presented with this, this thing, um, this virus that, you know, people were saying we're going to, was going to kill 2.2 million Americans and it, it was it was very bizarre on a, on a personal level to see so many people um, who I greatly who I had previously respected mm -hmm. attacking me, you know, personally, professionally. Um, I, I saw it, you know, in your feed all the time that people were people were, were mocking us for, for questioning the, this this information. And it was just so weird, you know, with, the, with like that, the Alex Jones memes and it, and they just haven't been held accountable whatsoever. But 
you know, I, I guess that's life. It's just really unfortunate. It speaks to their character when mm-hmm. they, especially people that know you personally, it was, it was just, the whole thing was just very strange. Have you noticed anyone that's, that's sort of turned around, right? That <clears throat> started out like I kind of, I started out like, uh Oh, you know, like we didn't really know anything. And I, at the very beginning, <clears throat> our data wasn't, you know, we had China data, which was whatever. And, <clears throat> you know, in the beginning when it was so crazy in Italy, we weren't necessarily getting the strongest, consistent information out of them. So I think in the beginning, I was a little nervous. But as, you know, weeks went on, I was like, well, this isn't making any sense. Have you noticed anyone that's admitted that they say, oh, you know what, this isn't as bad as I thought it was? Or is has everybody just double down. Yeah, I, I, that's a really good point. Like early mm-hmm. on, I, I can speak personally to that. I, I was at like a gathering, I would say in like really early March, um, right prior to the lockdowns happening. And I, you know, seeing all the information coming out of Wuhan, coming out of the World Health Organization, I remember I was at some kind of like, I, I want to say it was like prior to Easter, I was at some get together brunch at someone's apartment. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, there's way too many people here. And <laughs> Uh, I'm worried about you know, getting this virus that's that's killing people and getting sick. So I actually remember leaving that thing early. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, I personally was a, I was a skeptic of this thing. It was really as the information started coming in, I was like, oh, wait a second. Um, this is not the story that the media is telling that these public health officials and these international organizations are telling is not the real story. Um, so that's when I kind of like when, when the data came out is when I started to transition to something more rational and looking more at the data than just you know the, the fear but but I remember the fear that it, that it caused within me initially that I really didn't want to be around people because of all this terrorizing information but yeah it it, it just seems that a lot of people now in May have flipped a switch uh, won't even acknowledge their hysteria um, but they also won't really talk about the issue in general yeah, Jordan, you are definitely owed an apology, and I'm sure we're thinking yeah. of the same people. Yeah. You are definitely owed an apology, and I have one person in particular I'm thinking of because I jumped on him when he jumped on you. Will you give and... initials? Just give the initials of that person. Can you do that? Um, I'd rather okay. not. All right. Fair it, it doesn't mean at some point that I won't be like, hey, Remember this tweet and all of a sudden you've gone three weeks without saying a word. You owe so you know me, I will do that. I I'm gonna wait for the right time. But okay. um Jordan is definitely owed apologies. Um I think he got a lot more heat on social media. I mean I got some but not uh as much as he did. But I did, I will tell you, I I I've lost respect, including a doctor, a friend of mine who I've written with for years. And he was emailing me on the side telling me how wrong I was, that uh, what I was putting out there was going to lead people to die, that I'm not an armchair epidemiologist. I mean, really in personal terms. And so I I won't have anything to do with him professionally again. And it's really too bad that he chose to attack me in the way that he did. And somebody who I've written with, I've been very loyal to, helpful to, um, you know, just being savaged. And now, and this was someone who relied on the Imperial College model. And so now that it's been completely debunked, I'm sort of waiting for this apology, but it's never going to come because, right, that's the business. You can just do this and say whatever you want, gaslight everybody. And then when nothing happens that you've warned about, you just walk away. And it's as bad on the right as it is on the left on any news organization on the left. I think social media has really made what you just described worse, that phenomenon where, I mean, a lot of us lost friends when Trump won, you know, during the election and um, the aftermath. We we lost friends that we had known. But because social media encourages virtue signaling and peacocking and righteous stands, there's more to lose backing down than if there wasn't social media and you weren't putting out all of your great ideas in public all the time. 
right? Instead of just going, hey, you know what? I was wrong yesterday at the office when I said this. Now you've just said it in front of like 20 million people and you have a much larger stake to back off and say, hey, you know what? I was wrong. So we just don't see, I mean, I think that's part of it. I'm not saying that's the only reason, but um, everything seems so political and there's such large stakes these days on any position that people rarely admit that they were mistaken or wrong and they have to instead just double or triple down. So anyway, that is our hour today. It went by very quickly. <laughs> it was very enjoyable. Um, it's always great to talk to Jordan. I think on Friday here in Virginia, Jordan and I will be allowed to participate in a phase one society. Um, <laughs> right now, as of, as of this very instant, everything is still closed down. <laughs> So we're like the last in the nation to just raise up the uh, op open up society. No gyms, though. We want people staying home and watching Netflix and ordering from Grubhub <laughs> because that will help fight the virus. So anyway, thank you again. Jordan. Thanks, we're, Jordan. Thanks. We're so going to have one again in another month where we can probably say the same things and worse because I don't think anything's going to change. Mm -hmm. And. Thank you to our listeners. If you want, you can subscribe to our show on our Blueberry page. It says subscribe, hit subscribe, and we will see you back next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.